0: This season of Hello Nature is brought to you by the 2024 Subaru Outback Wilderness, the ultimate expression of the legendary capability of the Outback line. In addition to its 9.5 inches of ground clearance, the Outback Wilderness is loaded with off-road ready upgrades to take you further than ever before. Adventure elevated with the Subaru Outback Wilderness. Hi, 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 hi. This is Misha Youssef. You're listening to Hello Nature Season 2 from REI Co-op Studios and Subaru. I will never forget the first time I went for a run. Like, a run for fun, not because a lion was chasing me. I was 14 years old. I had just moved to the United States from Pakistan. And I was desperate to join a sport, any sport, I wanted to get into a good college, like my brown jeans required of me. And to get into a good college, I had to show that I was well-rounded. Which meant that on top of taking like 5,000 AP classes, being president of 29 clubs, and volunteering at the soup kitchen every night and weekend, I also had to be an Olympic-level athlete. Anyway, I tried volleyball, and I sucked. When everyone else ran toward the ball, I ran away from it sometimes literally off the court. I tried swimming, but I was scared of the water, so that didn't work out. And then a friend suggested cross-country. She said I didn't have to try out, which was nice, and anyone could do it. Just because anyone can do it, Emily, doesn't mean anyone should. I showed up to my first practice. We did some stretches, sit-ups, push-ups, And then we started running around a field. Four laps. A full mile. I wanted to die after every lap. Oh my goodness. What? Why am I doing this to myself? And then finally I finished. And I was like, okay, that was hard, but maybe I was being a little dramatic. It wasn't that bad. I could do this five times a week. I could get used to this. And then my coach said something that rattled my tiny little body. All right, everyone. Great job with the warm-up, ladies. Now let's start to run.
1: Everything
0: went black. My heart got so loud, I felt like my ears were going to explode. I started sweating out of every pore in my body. That was the warm-up. I hated cross-country for four years. I cut runs. I faked my period for meets. I never tried to get better. But, 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 I ran six days a week for years. Somewhere during that time, it became a part of my life, part of my body, a part of my psyche. In college, I didn't run because I didn't have to anymore. But then as college was ending, I got super depressed. I didn't know who I was and I felt sad all the time. I tried a lot of different things. And then one day I read something about running and depression, that running helps. So I put on my old running shoes, walked outside and ran for like five minutes. I started doing this a couple days a week at first, then almost every day. Then I ran 10 minutes, 15, 30, sometimes even an hour. I ran past blurry trees, learning to identify them. I heard my footsteps play percussion to the tune the birds sang. I smelled fresh cut grass and the salt of the ocean. And I started to feel a little better. I started to choose to run instead of being forced to. And then, a few years ago, I got into an accident and tore my acl i couldn't even walk without limping for over a year sometimes i'd wake up from a dream about running and my heart would still be racing i craved that feeling of my feet hitting the pavement the repetition the momentum the freedom it got me thinking a lot about the things we take for granted our bodies the things they do the spaces they occupy And it also made me think about public space in general, about how privileged I am to be able to run in parks, on streets near my house, on trails, about how not everyone has that luxury, especially Black people in America. So this episode, I go to New York and talk to two incredible Black runners. We explore what it's like to run while Black, what running in nature means to individual people, what it can do for them physically, mentally, spiritually, and what happens when it's not safe to run in the green spaces in our own neighborhoods. I talked to Alison Barriela Desir, author of Running While Black, because she's been running in New York for years.
2: I am first and foremost a mother to my son, Corey. I am the author of Running While Black, and I am a community builder.
0: Allison isn't a stranger to New York.
2: I grew up, I was born in New York, but I grew up in the suburbs in Teaneck, New Jersey. I remember when I was little, I was probably somewhere between seven and ten. There were two other girls in the neighborhood, and we would ride our bikes and climb trees. Like, now I would never climb a tree. It seems terrifying.
0: (laughs) But as a little kid, she was all about being outside. Nature was free and open. She could explore endlessly,
2: go anywhere. But we would spend hours climbing trees and hanging out in them and challenging each other. You could go from one tree to the next, but there was this like very precarious branch. And I just remember we had to really put ourselves in a pretzel to get to it. Like stakes were really high, you know, and I didn't think of that as being outdoors or being in nature. It was just like something that we did. And it was such a part of building my confidence. And I remember feeling really independent biking of course, in these like really well-manicured, privileged neighborhoods. But that sense of autonomy and that sense of freedom and challenging myself is one that was really important to my development.
0: So she's out there doing all kinds of activities. She's up in trees, zipping past neighbors on her bike, rolling around in the mud, and she loves it. And then, she finds running.
2: I remember in recess, I discovered that I was really fast and that I could beat the boys in like third and fourth grade.
0: She loves that she's fast enough to beat the boys. And she really likes the feeling of running. Her feet hitting the ground over and over. The calm that takes over her body. So she starts running seriously. In middle school,
2: I joined the track team, and I ran the 100 and the 200. Then in high school, I ran the 400 and the 400-meter hurdles.
0: But she never considers long-distance running.
2: Long-distance was something that, in my mind, was reserved for white people. She
0: competes in high school track. But when she graduates, like me, she
2: stops running. I also had gone to Columbia University twice for undergrad and then for my first master's and still couldn't find a job that was fulfilling. Coming from that institution, there was also just a sense of pressure around, you know, you've gone to one of the greatest institutions in the world and yet still I can't find any job. And I was also just in a series of relationships that were really bad for me where I wasn't being valued and I didn't see myself as valuable enough to end it. So all of those factors led to my depression and I just wasn't leaving the house. I was on the couch all the time. I often would take sleeping pills. I just went to sleep for a really long time. I now realize just how dangerous that was. And I am lucky to be here because, you know, when you're messing with, with drugs, essentially, and then also drinking, it was a really unhealthy and dangerous period. But I just felt like if I could sleep for years and wake up when life was better, then I'd be okay. I describe myself as a weather vane during that period. A weather vane just like moves depending on the wind. And that was how I felt about myself.
0: And things at home add to the internal struggles Allison is having.
2: Uh, my father was diagnosed with Lewy body dementia and dementia is a degenerative disease. He, was, he had symptoms of Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. And I was taking care of him along with my mother. So that was really stressful and also just devastating to see somebody who you love and respect falling apart in front of you and you having to care for them.
0: She feels like nothing is working out for her. She starts to kind of zone out more and more, sleep, scroll on social media, watch TV, drink, sleep some more, scroll on social media. And while she's scrolling,
2: I saw a friend of mine who was training for a marathon, and he was a Black guy, which was really striking to me. I knew that Ethiopians and Kenyans ran marathons but I didn't think of it as something that we did and he was sharing how powerful it was for him mentally, physically, emotionally I was in such a dark place that I was sort of willing to try anything and I decided that I might as well give it a try and I discovered just how powerful running is
0: She starts running again right outside her house the parks in Harlem. And Allison, she doesn't just start by doing five minutes a day. She's like, I'm training for a marathon.
2: But the thing about a marathon training plan is that it seemed to offer a solution.
0: To her depression, to everything going on in her life.
2: Because it meant that, oh, if I do X, like if I do this, then I'll get this. And week by week, I'll improve. And that's what I wanted. I just wanted to know that I was moving towards progress. It was something tangible that I could cling to that set up structure in my day because I was unemployed. It forced me to have to be around other people initially. It kept me distracted and having to focus on this physical effort, right? I realized that I was running towards something. But let's be real. Running always sucks at first,
0: even for someone like Allison who loves it.
2: Like week one, if you had told me I would ever run 10 miles, I would say there's no way I would be able to do that. But she's desperate,
0: and she's running to literally manage her depression. So she keeps pushing herself. And over the next few weeks, she notices a change.
2: And I discovered that I was capable of doing really difficult things. And that is what began to shift my perspective on myself. Like I was putting in the work and I was seeing these results And that even when the result wasn't exactly measurable, I was in control. Her
0: mood improves, she finds purpose, and she no longer feels like the wind can change her direction any which way.
2: And I now have a stronger sense of self. What you say about me isn't going to make me fall apart. If something that I want, I don't achieve, I'm not going to fall apart. Like, I feel very much grounded. And
0: this change within herself, it blows her mind. She can't believe how such a small thing leads to such huge results. Just like our friend, Dr. Rosani, the doctor we talked to in the Oakland episode, Allison wants to know more. Why did this happen? How did this happen?
2: I went to Google and I started Googling things like, movement and mental health. And like, why am I feeling better about myself? And discovering that there was a world of not only sports psychology, but um, mental health. And that what I was experiencing was not, was not unique. Science to the rescue, obviously. In sports psychology, they talk about as having different pillars that make up your sense of self. If you have a single pillar, if that thing goes away, then you fall with it, right? But if you have several pillars in your life and maybe sport is one of them, your support system is another one of them, your professional life is another one of them, right? Then when one thing falls, it's okay. Like you're gonna feel it certainly, but the house can still stand. I failed at something. I am not a failure. Okay, so that means like, what have I learned here? How can I incorporate that into trying again? And all of that really came from the building blocks of of marathon training.
0: While she's learning all of this, She's running more and more. Her lungs can breathe better. Her legs can last longer without pain. Her mind doesn't mess with her as much. And then, finally, the day of her marathon arrives.
2: And I initially thought that it was going to be one and done, but I realized just how amazing the experience was, and I wanted to keep running. But more than that, I wanted to do it with people who look like me.
0: But as far as Allison knows, that type of group doesn't exist. Not in Harlem at that time, at least. If you don't know much about Harlem, it's kind of the epicenter of Black culture in America. Sadly, there's also been a lot of disinvestment in the area.
2: Harlem is also unique in that it's, it's, a, it's a Black space.
0: So because of that, it's kind of weird that there aren't a lot of running clubs, especially ones that actively welcome people of color
2: was like, why isn't there, why aren't there any running groups uptown? All of my training took place in Central Park or on the Upper East Side, and there was nothing in Harlem. And the other groups she's running with, she honestly doesn't love. Yes, people were nice, not everybody was nice, but there was never a sense that I belonged and there was never a sense that I could show up as my full self. So I said, I wanna create that.
0: She starts Harlem Run in November 2013, and the early days are a bit rough.
2: It was freezing cold and nobody was showing up for months and months at a time, but I was really driven by this idea of how much how how it changed my life and how maybe people just don't know that it's for them, but if they found out that they could be part of it, that they would love it. Um, I kept showing up and eventually people started coming.
0: But it's not like people are showing up by chance. They're responding to what she's building. They're responding to Allison.
2: I guess I've always had leadership ability, but I didn't really know what I was doing. But I did know that this group could not be about me, right? Like it could not be about join Allison like like I'm that great of a person, right? It had to be about something bigger than myself. People had to feel really good when they came, had to feel seen, and so little by little, people started coming back, people who showed particular interest. I recognized the leadership in them. And I said, oh, OK, I want you to be part of building this with me. And it's not that I don't have all the answers, but together we'll, we'll create what this looks like. The leaders
0: of Harlem Run end up creating a safe space together.
2: So being really intentional with who the leaders are, the language that we use, being really intentional and making sure that yes, we have running groups for various paces, but we also have walking groups and run walking groups. So there may be people who because of structural racism and lack of access, they have never run before. So they need a place to start. I remember at one point when there were probably 10 of us, and there was a new person. And one of the people who had been there previously said, Oh, well, you're not a member of Parliament yet, you've got to come at least 10 times. I said, no, actually, whether it's your first time or your 100th time, you're a member of Harlem Run, right? Because this idea of um, the in-group versus the out-group was part of my issue, right? Feeling like I never really belonged in this space. Without even knowing what I was doing, (laughs) I was being a transformational leader. I was creating um, an inclusive community just by going what felt right and making sure that what I had experienced was not what new people would experience
0: building a truly inclusive community, it doesn't just require the people who are in the running group. It also is about feeling connected to the people who are not running. The people you're running past. And Allison feels that in
2: Harlem. Even though it's… Rapidly gentrifying. When you're running through the street, you see people who look like you. People are engaging with you on the street, which I always love. Things that stick out to me most are like, you got this. or well, why are you running so fast? Or (laughs) wait for me. Or, you know, like people are, you're part of a community. Whereas in other places, in white communities, people will look through you. This
0: safe public space for Black people is a radical idea. It shouldn't be, but it is.
2: That's why Harlem Run is 10 years strong. It is really important to the community.
0: Allison starts to realize that running outside isn't just running when you're Black. She finds that stepping out the door and jogging for a few miles is actually activism.
2: So much of our experience is one of being disempowered and disembodied. If you think about our collective memory and then our generational trauma of our bodies not being our own, of us being used for the sake of, you know, procreation. If you think about our bodies being used for science, for labor, Um, all of those are experiences where you just disconnect and you disengage from your body, right? And so running is something that is meditative and that reconnects you to your sense of self. When I was running, I started to feel things and I started to recognize that when I was running really fast, I was breathing a certain way. When I was running slowly, I was breathing a different way. That if I was running up a hill, I would feel my quads engage. And it was so powerful because I had never thought about how my body was moving through the world.
0: Running gives her something to hold on to when things are hard. But as a Black woman, it's a radical act. It's radical because public spaces aren't accessible to Black people, especially for activities like running. One of the reasons is because Black people get stared at while running outside. They get harassed. They get killed.
1: Almost Two years after unarmed black man
0: Ahmad Aubrey was gunned down in his Georgia neighborhood, the three white men responsible, it
1: Travis McMichael. Justice McMahon? against one is it a justice against all? Today I mourn the death of justice. Won't you mourn with me? The story unfolding this
0: evening: there's growing outrage over chilling video showing the deadly shooting of an unarmed black man
1: in Georgia. Two white men, a father and son, both with guns, confronting him while he was I jogging. I need the video there to were to know that Amal was brutally murdered and day. shot down and gunned like a dog. But the video showed the world what we already knew.
0: So, sure, technically she can go run outside. But that space isn't really available to her.
2: I don't know that whenever I'm outside that I ever feel a true sense of safety, right? Because living in a white supremacist country and world, there's never a time when I feel like certain that I'll I'll be okay. There's it always comes with a, a sense of risk, but I know that I deserve to be in space. I'm I'm first generation American, I was born in the United States. I've never known any other country, but still there are times when I feel not fully American or feel like I don't fully belong here. But where could I belong?
0: Allison is talking about being Black in America, how Black bodies are policed and treated, especially in public spaces. From 2022 to 2023, the police killed 1,968 Black people. More than half of the people shot by police are between the ages of 20 and 40. And these numbers don't even include people like Ahmad Arbery, who are killed by regular citizens because of racism. Public lynchings in 2023.
2: So historically, our, you know, we've, we've not been given the freedom of movement. And, and now between police violence, vigilante violence, there are folks who, who want to harm us when we're moving. So that act of, of taking control of our bodies and daring to go outside and take up space is really disruptive and can be, yes, at once frightening, but also really empowering.
0: As she's thinking about these things, she has her first kid, a baby
2: boy. My pregnancy was not fun at all, right? Of course, all of my life I had heard about and known about Black people being killed by police and vigilantes and lack of justice. And it felt real for me because I'm a Black person. So I had just like to have to, to invest so much in bringing somebody into the world just for them to be killed for no reason really hit me hard, and I thought to myself, "Damn, this could one day be my son." And then
0: a few months later, 25-year-old Ahmad Arbery is murdered while running outside. He was just running while black. This news devastates Allison. She knows she has to do something more than just run and claim space.
2: So I started working on this book and then July of 2020 it encapsulated this experience of doing ordinary things while black comes with a different set of risks and and expectations.
0: What were you hoping people would get out of the book while you were writing it?
2: I wanted people to realize was that so much of the history that I tell in my book is history that people don't know. I wanted people to get really curious and honestly cynical about the education and the things that they think that they know to be true and start to question. And then ultimately I wanted people to leave feeling empowered to act. It's easy to feel very helpless now and not see a way that an individual can make an impact. If we all feel helpless, then we all won't advocate for change. And then the system continues.
0: How do you maintain that hope?
2: As a mother interacting with my son, who's almost four, and then his classmates, is they truly are so just curious and still unharmed by structures and other things that we've created so for example my son loves elsa my son asked for an elsa dress and we bought him a dress and he wears the dress sometimes and he sees nothing wrong with it right like there's no like indication that this could be girly or weird they don't yet have these associations with one thing being good or bad i actually i I say all of this to say because With kids, we have the possibility of undoing the structures that are in place, right? As a kid, you're born with freedom to be whomever you want. But as you
0: get older, that freedom gets taken away. People expect stuff from you. There are arbitrary rules you have to follow. And if you're a person of color, there are even more rules. But we humans created those rules. Nature didn't create these systems of oppression. People built those which means we can take them down, too.
2: Just knowing that there are people around the country, around the world, like who are actively dismantling harmful systems, creating space for other people, we're having an impact. Even
0: though Allison no longer lives in Harlem, her legacy continues. Harlem Run Club still meets and runs together. But Allison's club isn't the only one in New York. After the break, we meet another New Yorker running for justice. Being back in my old stomping grounds, hey Brooklyn, and running through Prospect Park brought back so many memories. When I lived near the park, I realized that nature can be experienced and enjoyed even in a gigantic city like New York. So when I came back to visit, I couldn't have been more happy to see that the park continues to thrive year after year. Plus, thanks to folks like Jerry of Goldfinger Track Club, people continue to explore and find community at the park. In this case, through running, which brings me to yet another reason I'm proud this season is sponsored by Subaru. Did you know that Subaru is the largest corporate supporter of the National Park Foundation? They've donated over $70 million to organizations working to preserve our parks. That's enough to protect over 400 national parks, equivalent to 84 million acres of land. Impressive, I know. If you wanna learn more about how Subaru supports the parks, check out subaru.com slash environment
2: how often
0: are you um, changing running shoes like how often are you getting new you know like getting rid of old ones
1: I don't that's the problem I'm, really? a, I'm a hoarder I have massive running shoes build up yeah
0: Yeah, how many shoes can you wear on two feet? I try
1: to tell myself that all the time, and then I wind up having more and more (laughs) shoes. My name is Jerry Ernesto Parker Francois. All four names, excuse me, but most people just call me uh, Coach J. I am the owner and head coach of Goldfinger Track Club, the hottest crew in the United States of America.
0: I'm meeting with Jerry in Brooklyn to talk about running.
1: Yeah, Go Finger Track Club is my uh, my baby, my home, uh, my family the thing that I give my all in.
0: Jerry grew up right here in New York. He lived in Brooklyn with a single mom,
1: uh, property and on.
0: And growing up, he was obsessed with sports, kind of like Allison.
1: I was the most sportiest person in my family. I was the only one who was really like sporty and loved to be outside, where I would literally be outside all day living in the space that I lived in. I literally had only three apartment buildings and all factories. So my block was like deserted and it was literally nothing there. No trees, nothing it's like a old like yard with like broken down cars and vehicles and just factories. We literally just made up sports, and it just became something we did on our neighborhood where people started to come out to our block a little bit more because we made our block feel like they had the most to offer. Either It was just literally three apartment buildings.
0: So he and his mom live in a city building. But for little Jerry, New York is still magical because he finds pockets of nature in unexpected places.
1: I remember, like, snow days were, like, really, like, what the movies would show. And I just remember, like, every time that something would happen with weather-wise, everything would seem like just adventure. Like, we went from factories to big dirt hills. For us, it was just, like, what, what can you grab and what can you use as your imagination and make it fun?
0: Jerry's used to making up all kinds of games, playing any sport that can be played in the streets of New York. But he's not really a runner. He doesn't see a lot of people around him running, especially for fun. But then in fifth grade, there's a new event at school.
1: I think I was nine or 10 years old at that time. It was this event called Field Day where they'll bring different schools together and they'll race out a track meet. But I just knew I was chasing something. And that excitement alone had me just throbbing for more. I just remember just hearing everyone screaming and chanting. And I was like, wow, like. For this very moment, I'm the most important person on this space right now. He
0: loves it. He loves the feeling of being important, of mattering, of being seen. It's interesting because Jerry's actually been running this whole time. He's running when he plays football or basketball. But in this moment, running becomes its own thing for Jerry. He realizes he enjoys it by itself. But... He doesn't join a track club or start doing long-distance races with a cross-country team. He's still all about team sports, like soccer. Jerry's super active, but remember, the rest of his family isn't very sporty.
1: My mom never had great health. Uh, high blood pressure runs in her family, I believe.
0: Jerry's mom gets diabetes, and her health starts to get worse and worse. When Jerry is 17, his mom has a stroke and passes away. Jerry hasn't spoken to his dad in a while. He's grieving the loss of his mom, and he's all alone in his house, in the same apartment in Bushwick. And then he gets this strange notice.
1: I was getting evicted, and I was like, wow, the world really does not care about you. Like, you can literally lose somebody, but life still goes on. And I remember I was like... I have nothing to do at this moment. I was like, I'm about to be homeless in the next three days.
0: He has an idea out of nowhere.
1: I was like, I'm going to just go outside and just run. So I just ran. I ran around my neighborhood. And I was like, I'm going to just keep running until I feel tired. And wherever I stop, I just got to figure a way to get home.
0: His body feels calmer. He's tired. But running does something for him. It centers him. It gives him perspective. It helps him figure out his next move.
1: And I said, you know what? I have one parent left in this world. And as much as I don't want to, so I think I might have to call him. So I called my dad. I was like, and he gave us a place to stay.
0: He's a senior in high school, and he keeps playing sports, his saving grace. He doesn't want people to know him just as the kid who lost his mom. And then one day, this sign-up sheet gets passed around. It's for the track team.
1: I was like, all right, you know what? The only sport that's left is indoor track. So I joined the indoor track team.
0: He is very competitive. He's like, I'm gonna beat all these guys. So the day of his first track meet comes. Jerry finds his flyest outfit. He puts on his sneakers. He does his warm-ups, hypes himself up. And then he walks over to the start line. Jerry starts the race flying. Everyone's looking. Everyone is cheering him on. He feels like he's the fastest person ever. He feels the same way he felt when he was in fifth grade. Like nothing else matters in the world. Like he's important. Like he's free. And he loves it. And then...
1: I stopped short. And... didn't notice that I had another lap to go. My coach is yelling at me and the team's like, yo, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm not done. They're like, no, another lap. But I ran so fast that day. Me stopping for like that 10 seconds really didn't make a difference. It still helped us take the win.
0: For the first time in months, he feels present.
1: I'm no longer Jerry, the person who lost their mom. And I just remember how good my team felt and celebrating me. And they kept saying that, yo, you're a natural brown runner.
0: Jerry sticks with running in junior college, but then he stops, just like me and Allison. Other things start to take priority. Jerry is responsible for himself now. He has to pay his own bills. And then our competitive Jerry hears about a competition, his favorite, It's a 10-person relay race on a track. The only problem is Jerry hasn't run much on a track since college. He's like, can I do it? And then he remembers he's Jerry, and he's like, yes, I can. Of course I can.
1: So I was like, let me call all my old college friends or people I ran with high school to see if they want to run.
0: And he gets enough people just in time for the race. The ragtag group shows up the day of the race. No matching outfits, no fancy gear. They don't even have a name.
1: The official was like, hey, what's the name of your club? We need to put it up there. And I was like... I don't know. I went out of club.
0: The official is like, dude, I don't care what your team's name is. I got to list something. Give me anything.
1: And at the time, I had this clothing brand called Goldfinger. um, And I was like, you know what? I guess I could stick with that. So I was like, Goldfinger.
0: So Jerry names his crew five seconds before the race.
1: Everybody was like, yo, Goldfinger Track Club, they so fast.
0: One of Jerry's team members gets kind of a weird text from his other run club.
1: Hey, due to your disloyalty, you know, your participation with another club, we're gonna have to drop you.
0: Jerry's floored. Disloyalty? This isn't even a real team. I literally just made up the name.
1: I feel responsible. So I was like, you know what? I'm gonna create the Go Figure Try Club, make it a real thing. But the first rule I'll make is that we don't ever drop nobody. No matter where you go, who you run with, doesn't even matter, your background, your neighborhood. Anybody can be Goldfinger.
0: He wants his club to be a home, a place where people can go when there's nowhere else to turn. In 2016, Jerry officially creates his run club, Goldfinger Track Club. Even though their name has track in it, don't be fooled. They do a lot of road and trail running. But Jerry kind of has a soft spot for the track. It's where he got his start. So he wants to share that kind of running with other people.
1: I like running the ovals and like that I don't have to stop unless I just tired. I don't have to stop and worry about pedestrians, bikers, all the distraction. Almost when I run on a track, it's kind of just me versus me. It's refreshing to know that, hey, where I start is where I'm always going to finish.
0: The biggest reason Jerry created Goldfinger is for the community.
1: I was like, I need to give back to my own neighborhood.
0: In 2019, he starts hosting a new kind of run, community runs. They're chill three to five mile runs held every Thursday. Anyone can join, even if you're a total beginner. No pressure. You can even walk the whole way if you want.
1: The first time we did it, September, so many people came out, 30 people, amazing.
0: And each run has a purpose, an issue they're raising awareness for.
1: Who talks about mental health? Who talks about autism? Who talks about racism?
0: If they're going to be a community that runs together, that truly supports one another, they have to understand one another, where each person is coming from. So Jerry's really excited about this idea. But then...
1: Then every Thursday, it slowly just went down and down and down. And our team was like, yo, what's the point of doing this? I don't want to do this no more. No one shows up. What are we wasting our Thursday for?
0: He stops community runs completely. And then 2020 hits...
1: I remember hearing about Maude Arby, I was like, that could have been me. That could have been Jason. That could have been Ty. Like, it could have been Cheryl. Like, it could have been any of us that hit home because, you know, the goal is when you run, you would like to think, like, I'm going to get home, right? And the fact that he didn't make it home, and it, it hit us. I I remember just changing how I run. I started sharing my location. We are now being an early morning runner as opposed to a night runner.
0: Jerry's sitting at home like everyone else during the
2: pandemic.
1: And I was like, all right, let me go to these protests. Let me be a part of the fight. I love walking, but I was like, wow, these protests is like, we're walking from like West 4th to like 4th Green or something. I'm like, I can't walk this much, you know, and it's hot summer. So I was like, what if I just start running to protest?
0: These protests are great, but Jerry questions what impact he's making in these huge spaces. And he starts to think about his community. He's like, maybe I need to channel this energy into bringing community runs back. Maybe it's not about the numbers. Maybe it's just about the impact.
1: I need to just scale it down and just focus on those important issues.
0: Jerry's like, maybe smaller could actually be better. In these small groups, Jerry can actually talk to each member. He can have meaningful conversations about issues that matter to the community.
1: We use running to ignore our problems when we should use running to solve our problems. And I was like, I need to change that narrative. We're not running away no more. We're going to solve it here and there. And we're going to all come together collectively and figure out how to solve it.
0: Jerry's community I runs want to are it. still happening today. Hello? Hello. It's Thursday night. A warm Brooklyn evening. The sun is starting to set, but it's still pretty scorchy out. My skin is a little burned, but the energy's high, so I barely notice.
1: Y'all might come in inside a little bit. Let's get a little bit intimate. Uh when Ibn gets old, is it? Oh, he's not here?
0: Today's community run is a prom drive. Runners are donating their old clothes to local kids who can't afford new outfits for prom.
1: Good evening, everyone!
0: Jerry leads the group in a few icebreakers, some introductions, a little dance party, lots of shout out.
1: What a time to be alive!
0: And then it's time to run.
1: Community, one, two, three. Community.
0: We jog right. through the streets of Bed-Stuy. We pass Brooklyn's iconic brownstones. We pass restaurants where New Yorkers bask in the sunshine. We start to loop around. As always, the community starts the run together and they end it together. Full circle. Exactly like a track.
1: I just remember every time I was running a track, I'm like, I look upon the sky and I was like, I would see my mom's face and I'm like, It's weird, but I was like, I feel it. And I was like, every time I start and I finish, I still feel that same feeling. That is why I stick to the sport because it's always a reminder of who I am, who I'm supposed to be. And I've never forgotten that. I run because every Black life matters. And I need to know how important every mile that we take because we don't know when we're going to have another one.
0: You know, one of the things that both Jerry and Allison are doing, they're not just running for themselves. They're running for a purpose, with others, for others. Back in my cross-country days, I think that's what was missing. I didn't have my own why, a deeper why. And of course, that's totally okay. Some things can just be for fun. But when we move our bodies with a reason, we connect to something greater than ourselves. You know, in Muslim culture, we do a lot of collective prayer and our prayer is a moving prayer. It looks kind of similar to sun salutations in yoga, actually. We stand up, we raise our hands, we sit down, we touch our heads to the ground, we sit back up, stand back up, and do it all over again. And we do it together. No matter where you come from, who you are, or why you're there, you move together at the same time. There's something so powerful in that. I mean, it's literally a sacred ritual. You're moving the pain, the hurt, and the fear through your body. You're witnessing other people do the same. And they're witnessing you. And together, you know you can do something about it. I think running for a reason with a community is like that. It's a sacred thing. It's a quietly radical act. A prayer for a better world, one in which you matter. This episode is brought to you by Subaru. Exploring nature in cities across the U.S. has been an unforgettable adventure. From hiking the secret stairs in L.A. to camping on the outskirts of Chicago, none of it would have been possible without my 2024 Subaru Outback Wilderness, the ultimate enabler for your outdoor adventure. Standard, symmetrical all-wheel drive, off-road tires, and 9.5 inches of ground clearance plus a comfy and water repellent interior are among just a few of the features that make the Outback Wilderness the ideal vehicle when you're gearing up and heading out. Learn more about the Subaru Outback Wilderness at Subaru.com wilderness. Hello Nature from REI Co-op Studios is brought to you by Subaru. It's produced by Dustlight Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Misha Youssef. Stephanie Cohn is the senior producer. This episode was written by me and Stephanie Cohn. It was sound designed by me, Misha Youssef. Jules Bradley and Valeria Aller-Cohn provided additional production help throughout the season. Valentino Rivera is the senior engineer. Carly Bond is the composer. Elizabeth Goodspeed is our art director and designer and did our artwork for the series. The illustrations on the artwork are by Joshua Ariza. From REI Co-op Studios, executive producers are Jenny Barber, Joe Crosby, and Hannah Boyd.